0: Hello and welcome to the History of the Cards, episode 42, Civil War. So last time we ended around the ascension of the Emperor Maurice and the schism between Antioch and Alexandria in the reign of Pope Damien. We also stopped with the breaking of war with Persia again and the subsequent intrigue that saw the Miaphysite gassanid kingdom collapse. For the next 8 years of Maurice's reign, the war with Persia would slowly turn to the Byzantine side. By 590 AD dissatisfied Persians will overthrow their king, who in a desperate move will take refugee in the empire asking Maurice for protection. And Maurice not only sheltered him, he sent forces to restore the Persian king to his throne. The move succeeded and peace with Persia was achieved with the acquisition of new territory in Armenia. Now, before rushing to bat Maurice in the back for a job well done, it will be this very same Persian king that conquers the east and Egypt in a few years from now. As Jean of nuko who is not a big fan of Maurice tells us, the patriarch of Constantinople quote cried aloud to them all and said unto them this man who has murdered his father cannot benefit the empire nay it is christ our true god who will war on our behalf at all times against all the nations that attack us and as for this man who has not been faithful to his father how will he be faithful To the Roman Empire. If it is not clear from Jean's account, the Persian monarch that Maurice restored was involved in the overthrow of his own father. But in any case, at the moment, it seemed that Maurice had achieved a great victory and secured the Empire's eastern frontier. He even adopted the Persian king as his own son. Who needs the Ghassanids when you have just personally appointed your own adopted son on the throne of Persia? With the eastern flank secured, Maurice, like Justinian before him, looked west and embarked on an endless campaign to raid the Balkans of several tribes that were raiding the area. The most important and the long term of these tribes would be the Slavs, but that's beside the point. What is important to us in our narrative is that Maurice's reign was a non-stop war. He was a combatant general, so the Empire armies was often successful. But it is important to note that these were not wars of conquest that brought riches. Rather, those were defensive wars meant to secure borders and to kick tribes out of the Empire borders. As such, the financial situation of the empire got much worse and John of Nico retells several incidents of local uprisings in Egypt that were probably tax protests that got out of hand, similar to the three brothers rebellion that we discussed last week. On a religious front, Maurice was a clear cut Chalcedonian, but was a soldier outlook on the whole issue. Armenia as a newly conquered territory and mostly Miaphysite, so most of the action of his reign. Egypt and Syria were, for the most part, left alone, as their tax revenue was more important than their orthodoxy at this moment, was one notable exception of a powerful Chalcedonian bishop who happened to be Maurice's cousin. This bishop was extremely harsh on the Miaphysites in his diocese, but once he died, an equilibrium established itself. The endless war in the Balkans and a precarious financial situation, plus an unpopular decision by Maurice to make the troops winter in enemy territory rather than come home, eventually led to an army mutiny in 602 AD. The army elected an obscure, illiterate officer, Named Phocas to the office of emperor, and Phocas and his soldier abandoned the campaign and marched on Constantinople instead. And there, mostly due to the financial situation, Maurice was not very popular, and fearing betrayal, he fled the city with his family. As A.G. Butler from his book The Arab Conquest of Egypt puts it, so estranged and wearied his people. That they tossed the crown to an illiterate and deformed rebel Centrion. It will be a while, but the deformed, illiterate Centrion will eventually arrest and execute Maurice and his family. Watching this development with amusement was the Persians. Remember, Maurice was technically the adopted father of the current Persian king. So the Persians can rightly claim that they have a just cause in war to avenge the fate of Maurice. And was an obsecure officer as the emperor and a rebellious army? This should be easy. Not to mention Foucas was absolutely despised in the capital, especially by the elite who saw him as an illegitimate usurper. To make a long story short, over the next eight years, the Persian slowly conquered Syria and were on the doorsteps of Antioch. Focus was suppressing conspiracies and coups left and right, and his throne was on shaky ground. The conspiracy that finally got him was led by the governor of North Africa, a man named Heraclius the Elder, to differentiate from his son. And future emperor, Heraclius the Younger. Now, it is worth mentioning that Heraclius initiated an empire wide civil war while the Persians were in the empire and about to start their march to Antioch and then eventually Jerusalem. His eventual success clouds the fact that this was really a terrible time to start a civil war. The cascade of events that will follow saw the Arabs rise from the desert to conquer most of the empire. Just like the dismantling of the Ghassanids, a full civil war inside the empire at this moment was disastrous. Ideally, focus should have been deposed in a clean ballast coop, or at least left alone until the Persian problem reached a stalemate. Even Egypt, where it has not seen robber armies march through its territory since the 2nd century crisis, suffered heavily. And contrary to the popular belief, the civil war between Heraclius and Phocis was more damaging or at least equally damaging to the eventual Persian conquest. At any rate, Heraclius the Elder sent his son, with a navy, to enter Constantinople by the way of Thessaloniki, and his cousin, a man named Nicetus, to Egypt to deprive focus from Egypt's resources. Now, there is lots of action to add back here in those years between 608 when Heraclius' rebellion started and the Persian conquest in Egypt in 616. This week we will focus on the military and the civil situation in Egypt. And next week we will be diving deep in the religious situation with pagan Persians, newly empowered Jews, divided Syrian and Egyptian Miaphysites, and Persian Nestorians all coming into the picture. So if you are wondering what is happening with Bob Demian and his schism with Antioch, we will get there next week. But for now, the situation is Nicetas is on his way to Egypt with an army, and Heraclius the Younger on his way to Thessaloniki with a navy, and the Persians slowly advancing through Syria and Palestine. Nicetas' army that was meant to conquer Egypt consisted of 3,000 Byzantine troops as well as an undefined number of Berber mercenaries which, for a big picture comparison, was similar to the 4,000 Arab troops that conquered Egypt in the 640s AD. The Heraclius-Nicetus troops made their way naturally through Libya from North Africa where there was some fighting there that Nicetus won easily. In Egypt, the populace, or more accurately, the aristocratic elite, were not really big and focused and outside of Alexandria and a few trouble spots, Nicetas was generally welcomed. He avoided Alexandria for now as a fortified garrisoned city and made his way to the delta through Mariotis, an area that is just south of Alexandria. In there he was welcomed by the governor of the area and supplied with additional troops and supplies. In the meantime, in Alexandria, the natural next target for Nicides, a plot was being hatched to deliver the city by treasury. Leading that plot was Sidor, the former prefect of the city, under Maurice. But the plot was discovered and the Chalcedonian patriarch of Alexandria, the current prefect and an officer responsible for the tax revenue acted quickly and pushed Focus for reinforcement. Losing Egypt would essentially starve Constantinople and put the imperial government under intense pressure, as Egypt's taxes formed about 30% of the imperial revenue. So, in response, Focus directed a large amount of troops there, from the capital itself and to the delight of the Persians from Antioch. The key to Egypt from the west was Alexandria itself, and a fortress on the western branch called Nico. From the east, once you pass Belusium, the key to the delta and the rest of Egypt was another fortified city named Atreep. As such, the troops sent by Phocis were stationed there, and those three places became the focus of action. I have attached a map from the Cambridge History of Egypt on the website and social media that clearly shows these places. In Syria the Jews revolted as soon as the Persian army was in sight and at the time of Nicete's advance, a particularly efficient general nicknamed the ferocious Hyena was massacring those Jews. When he got a message from Phocas, to leave Syria for the Jews and the Persians and head to Egypt instead to deal with Nicetas But as expected, in the time it took the hyena to wrap up his work in Syria and come to Egypt, Nicetas moved in Alexandria. A large battle then took place between his forces and the garrison of Alexandria with the reinforcement sent from Constantinople. Eventually, Nicetas emerged victorious, but not without significant losses. In the post-battle consolidating of power, the Alexandrian axis of resistance, consisting of the Chalcedonian patriarch, the prefect and the financial officer, were all arrested and executed. The population of Alexandria, for their part, did not put much resistance to Nicetus and may have even worked on them. Now, I will get more to it next week, but Nicetus, despite being a Chalcedonian, was smart enough to do everything in his power to cultivate a relationship with the local Miaphysites. And it really was due to his actions that the Miaphysite schism between Antioch and Alexandria was eventually healed. Other than that, it seemed that the religious differences played very little role up to this point, which makes sense as the best educated guess of population estimates were three to five million total inhabitants of Egypt with 90 to 95 percent of those inhabitants being Meaphysites. So naturally both sides in the civil war tried to stay away from alienating the Miaphisites, with the Nisidus slash side being generally more willing toward compromise and toleration. But anyway, with the fall of Alexandria, the delta of the Nile and the rest of Egypt became the next target. Here Nisidus commits his first mistake. Thinking that the war is over with the fall of Alexandria, he decided to sit back in the city and instead send one of his generals named Bonachis to wrap up the conquest. Initially, Bonachis had absolutely no trouble convincing the local elite to support Heraclius and Nicotus. In Nicotus, the bishop of the city, Theodore, flung open the gates and personally participated in the destruction of the statue of Phocis. Thus, Alexandria and the western delta was secured. Next was the eastern delta, and there Bonacles stumbled. Two fortified cities, the important one of them being Atribe, the key to Egypt from the east, refused to open the gates to Bonacles. Helping their position, was the news that the hyena was on his way and could arrive to Egypt at any second now. To be fair to the guy, his name is actually Bonasus but Bonasus and Bonakis sound similar. So to spare you the confusion, I'm going to continue to call him the hyena. At any rate, the hyena managed to get transport ships, probably appropriated from the locals, and exploited them to move extremely quickly once he reached the Nile through the eastern delta channels. At the hyena's arrival bonakis was caught off guard and could not stop the linking between the hyena's forces and the Atrebe garrison. So almost overnight bonakis found the eastern delta controlled by the hyena from his base in Atrebe and facing another significant imperial army. And not only that, the hyena quickly went on the offensive and using the transport ships, he quickly advanced on Nikko. Bonakis, clearly not expecting this advance, got some forces quickly and met the hyena's forces in the marshy lands of the delta to try and avoid being besieged in Nikko. Unfortunately for Bonakis, his forces were completely routed and he personally was caught alive and executed. The hyena was bringing Egypt back to focus bit by bit. The next stop for the hyena was Nicole. who, its leaders, decided it is better to ask for mercy from the hyena than close the door and hope that Nicetas come from Alexandria and save them. So, The very same bishop that opened the door to Bonacchis now went out in a solemn procession, carrying gospels and crosses and opened the door for Dahina and asked him for his mercy. This was a costly mistake and the bishop barred. Basically the first thing that Dahina did after going through the doors was to behead the bishop on the spot for the crime of treason specifically participating in the destruction of the Statue of Focus. He also imprisoned the governor of Nico until he squeezed 3,000 pieces of gold out of him. But even then, the guy was tortured to the point of death and then released to die a couple of days later from the torture. So, the tide of the civil war has turned again. Focus now controls all of Egypt, but Alexandria Which for the moment was still under the control of Nicetas Now before turning to the decisive battle of Alexandria It is worth mentioning here that this little civil war was absolutely devastating to the Delta At the average everyday farmer level those armies marching back and forth needed to be fed, closed and lodged and usually you had to foot the bill and this really meant giving away your precious livestock or food for the rest of the year and as a consequence there was tons of refugees that sought shelter in Alexandria. Unfortunately an open-handed patriarch was around but more on that next week. On aristocratic level The Civil War was also very tough, with the governor and the bishop of Nico being the face of their struggles. Basically, at a foundational level, you did not really care about either side, and even if you like one side over another, you do not like them enough to put your neck on the line for them. So, Nicetus comes around, you warmly welcome him. But then the hyena comes around, and you are more than happy to welcome him too. But he's best off because you have welcomed Nicetus. so at a minimum he's going to confiscate your property, to pay his soldiers, and if he were well, he can take your life too. And this was all relatively strange to Egypt, where this was not supposed to be happening. The Syrian Persian frontier and the Balkans, sure. But Egypt, the worst it has seen for the last 400 years, was some peripheral raiding from the Nubian and desert tribes. Trade, as you would expect, collapsed. And things never really got bitter until the Arabs consolidated their things, a generation later. But to go back to the narrative, Nicetus and Hyena were planning their showdown for Alexandria. First, Nicetes started by organizing a militia for the defense of the city, that mostly consisted of the Green Circus faction. Second, a local holy man and a monk named Theophilus the Confessor prophesied that Nicetus would emerge victorious and he should not wait for a siege, but rather he should go on the offensive and defeat the hyena on the field. The hyena on the other hand instructed a group of Egyptian aristocrats to mount a naval attack on the city from the south where a narrow canal brings the Nile water to Alexandria. Now the odds of success here were very slim as the canal was exceptionally narrow and the ships would be pretty much sitting ducks for projectiles coming from the city walls. So. It is likely that this was meant as a diversion or to tie down the egyptian aristocrats to the hyena's cause. At any rate as soon as the first ship approached the city a huge stone landed very close to it. So immediately the rest of the ships got the message and turned back. The ship captains were not really in the mood for a life for this battle on the walls of Alexandria. The hyena in the meantime was advancing by land toward the city from the east and camped near the wall of the city by the area of Pucalia, where Saint Mark was martyred and Arius started his career. With Siopheles the Confessor's prophecy, Nicetes planned to attack the camp rather than endure a siege. But before his planned attack, he found that the hyena's forces were rallying to attack the city. Which was quite puzzling as Alexandria had strong walls and taking it by storm is not an easy task. The best guess here is that the hyena underestimated the forces under Nicetas and was under the impression that he already defeated the bulk of the army in his battle was Bonakis, but in any case, leading the advance was a brave mounted officer, who happened to get a little bit ahead of everyone else, and in the middle of his dashing run, a giant rock flew from the city walls and by pure chance smashed the officer right in the face, unhorsing him and killing him instantly. Now. The sources here seem to be describing a catapult which would be quite something to manage to hit a mounted soldier with a semi-randomly thrown giant rock from a catapult. Nonetheless it happened and it completely psyched out the rest of the hyenas troops and Nicetus took full advantage as it is at this exact moment he ordered his forces the advance through the gates of Alexandria. The army of the hyena was then cut to pieces, and every single Egyptian aristocrat who was even peripherally associated with the attack was arrested and executed. The hyena himself and the elite corps of his troops managed to escape and hole in, in Nicole. What followed after was a guerrilla campaign where the hyena went from one fortress in the delta to another, destroying on the way as many ships and bridges as he could to make Nicetas advance difficult. Geographically speaking, the Nile Delta in Egypt was the perfect place to run a forever guerrilla campaign. It was filled with marshes and the Nile had many natural and artificial channels going through the area and away to the Mediterranean Sea. So it was easy to avoid battle if he did not want to fight. Check the map on the website and social media to get an idea. As part of that guerrilla campaign, the hyena cooked up a plot to assassinate Nicetes under the pretense of a beast messenger. But he was betrayed and the plot discovered. As a result the hyena's forces massacred the inhabitants of a town named Tafshir, probably because they played a role in that betrayal, so the sources makes it sound like it was just out of pity frustration. At any rate, the hyena found himself in run, and again took shelter in Niko. In response, Nicetus started to systemically surround the fortified city. Unplug in any holes that the hyena's forces might escape from. Seeing the writing on the walls, the hyena abandoned Nico and escaped by night, eventually making it back to Constantinople, where Heraclius was about to move on the city. The civil war was over as far as Egypt was concerned. Nicetus was now in control. Justice was dished out to the worst offenders to the civilian population during the war. A new regime was being installed, and Nicetus started to rebuild the damage that was done during the war. Unfortunately, time was not on his side, as the Persians were in the same time advancing toward Egypt to start the whole cycle of war again thank you for listening farewell and until next week